Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. We're continuing in our series called Reframing the Modern Family. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've unfolded different things. We feel like in order to reframe the family, we needed to talk about and, and being a spiritual parent. Uh, and these are some of the things that we've, ex- we've explored. We've, we've gone through several of them. Let's go ahead and put up that list. The first one is expose your kids to the presence of God. Expose your kids to the presence of God. We covered uh, a couple weeks ago entertaining them with sacrificial living in an entertainment-driven world. How do you make God awesome and thrilling, uh, to look thrilling to serve? Entertain our kids with sacrificial living. Engage them in service to others. Enlist them in Christian community is what we'll talk about today and educate them in scripture and knowledge of faith. And all this is grounded in the concept that we have embraced and found our identity in the person of Jesus Christ. That really is the, the foundation of it all. I encourage you, if you haven't been with us for the series, you can get the, cod, the podcast, not the podcasts, the podcasts at c2church.com and, and you can catch up on those previous weeks. If you've got your smart device today, you'll find the notes on the Version app and you can click on the live app and it'll show your notes. It'll also be up on the screen. But if you've got your smart device, maybe you'll get on social media and like us, uh, c2church uh, C2 or Christian Chapel. Blast this out. Christian community is necessary for Christ-likeness. Christian community is necessary for Christ-likeness. You can come to salvation on your own. It's hard to be a Christian on your own. You were never meant to be a Christian on your own. It's in community that we learn about Christ's likeness. We see examples of Christ's likeness. It's the encouragement and the challenge to continue in Christ's likeness. Now, I've, I've met people over the years that have embraced this idea that they, they don't need church they don't need anybody else they can be a christian on their own and i would agree you don't need to come to church to get to heaven but i find that it's in community that the very things that cause us to be salt and light in this world it's the very things that lead us to be more christ-like take place in community think about it you have to let the holy spirit grow the fruit of the spirit in you in community because where else do you get to practice patience with people that are not like you, who think differently than you, who annoy you, right? Where you truly have to demonstrate love. If you're by yourself, you don't have to demonstrate love. You don't have to demonstrate patience or self-control or kindness of any kind. It's in community that those things are shown, they're developed, and they're given. It's in community, and that's why it's necessary for Christ-likeness. And that's why, as we talk about spiritual parenting, whether you're a parent, a parent-to-be, a grandparent who's helping to raise children, adoptive, foster, we're talking about the community at large. And Perhaps you don't have kids, but you are part of the community of Christ and play an integral role in this thing we call church. Some of the top sitcoms on TV, whether currently or, or even in the past, revolve around small groups of people living life together. It really is an idea that started in Scripture. Shows like Cheers, 
where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Doesn't that describe the perfect church setting, right? Everybody wants that. They're all looking for it. That's what made it so, so popular, is we all long for that. Or to a, a newer generation, a show called Friends, exceedingly popular. Because we all have this desire to be known and to know, to have relationship, to live life together. And there's no greater example than the show Friends. I mean, who doesn't want to hardly ever go to work, always have money to spend on coffee, right? Sitting around in the afternoon, hanging out with friends, right? That was a great show. Or Seinfeld, or Family Ties, or The Office, or my personal favorite, Saved by the Bell. Why are these shows so popular? I think because they're funny and we all need a little comic relief in our life. And Kelly Kapowski was good looking. So I'm just saying. Or Alex P. Keaton if, you, if that's, that's a different show. All right. But we all long to be known. We long for a community. And that's why we find ourselves drawn to these types of things. Community, specifically Christian community, provides the critical support base that Christians need to be on mission. It's the thing that keeps us going, reminds us why we're here. This morning we're going to talk about why it's important, not only for yourself, but to, to enlist your own children, the next generation in Christian community. Gabe Lyons points out that in this life we engage and will engage in this corrupted and broken, in corrupted and broken communities found in our culture. And we do that when we cannot find or perhaps have not been taught how to find it within the Christ following community that we know as the church. And so we grasp on anything that looks similar. We accept weak substitutes in our craving for the real thing. And we base our decisions on whatever that community does, as selfish as they are. Several weeks ago, we we talked about living the hurried life, and that seems to be the case for most American families today, is living a hurried life. We are busy, but not necessarily effective or eternal. So the question for us is, are we being intentional in connecting our children and ourselves in Christian community? What scripture refers to, and I love this word picture, the body of Christ. This organism that functions and flows, though it has many parts, some very different from the others, functions together as one. And the body needs each part, and each part needs every other part of the body. We are needed, and we need it. Robert Putnam, a social scientist from Harvard University, comments that relationships over the years have have been moved to the back burner amid modern pressures. And he says this, quote, neighborhood parties and get-togethers with friends, the unreflective kindness of strangers, the pursuit of the public good, rather than solitary quest for private goods, have strangely gone missing from American life, replaced as Gabe Lyons follows by commuting, 
suburbanization, entertainment, financial pressure, time crunches, and an indifference towards civic responsibility in the next generation have led and created an isolated population. At no point in history have we been more connected with the advent of social media and and portable devices and the internet. We're more connected than ever. We have more knowledge than ever. But we're more isolated than ever. And even in our with our friends, we live in isolation. The tragedy is we've minimized and rejected the need and the impact of a life-giving community called the church. That this community can and does have an impact on our lives and conversely, the consequences of not being connected in such a Christian community are minimized. We, we think less about the effect that it has. We don't even know what we are missing or how it can help us live the very life that Christ has called us to. This morning we're going to launch out of the scripture found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, as the writer writes and really is combating this very thought. And he writes in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider, it's this phrase that is a moment of pause. Let us think intentionally and purposefully about what action, what step we are taking. Let us consider how to stimulate, or one translation says spur one another on. How can we encourage and challenge one another to these very salt and light things called love and good deeds that honor the name of Christ. How can we do that? And he says, not forsaking our own assembling or the, the gathering together of the Christ community. Don't forsake it or minimize it. As he talks, uh, some are already in the habit of doing. So it's not a, it's not a, a, a phenomenon unique to our culture or our century but rather encouraging one another. And he goes on to say, all the more as the day is drawing near and in the early Christian community, as they gathered to remember the, the death of Jesus, his burial and his resurrection, that's the very thing they gathered on, about on a Sunday morning was Jesus' resurrection. That was the central core belief of Christianity and still is today. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no re- real reason to, to celebrate or gather. And when they came together, they remembered the promise of Jesus that he's coming back. And so there was always this urgency, this expectancy that they would be ready for that day. And they simply referred to it as the day. And the reader of that day would have understood what the writer was referring to that that very day that we look forward to the moment that Jesus would come back and make all things right again and maybe even in our day and age you've watched the news read the the newspaper if anybody actually reads those anymore gone online and you see all the happenings of the world around you think surely the world is coming to an end that is the day that he's referring to 
perhaps you'll journey with me this morning on two things that I think will help us as spiritual parents or as followers of Christ enlisting ourselves and our children in Christian community. First is, what we're going to talk about is become the church, don't just go to church. Become the church, don't just go to church. And the second thing we'll talk about this morning is building an intentional community of Christ followers for yourself and for your family. Let's talk about the first one. Become the church, don't just go to church. For most Americans, church is something you go to. It's not something you are. It's something you might come to, but it's not something you become. But that's what the scripture says, that the church is. It's something you are. It's who you are in community with other like-minded believers, followers of Christ. It is what we are becoming as an intentional community. Become the church. And how do you teach your children this? How do you example this for those around you? We have to understand that believers need believers. That's the first thing. Believers need believers. You need the church. And the church needs you. It's necessary for Christ's likeness. Scripture lays it out. Here's a couple of scriptures, just two that I, I chose that I thought makes the point for us. First John 1 7 writes, If we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Jesus Christ then is the source and fount of all spiritual communion and community. And only when rightly related to Christ can we be rightly related to one another. The Apostle Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 to write it this way. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, one of the gods of the day? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? A Christian can't be in true Christian fellowship with an unbeliever who walks contrary to the teachings of Christ. Now understand, we're not talking about friendship. We're talking about fellowship. Christ was not calling us to uh, unfriend those who do not think or act or believe like us. That would be counter-gospel. That would be counter-Bible. He did talk about fellowship, this idea of being bound together. Remember the three-legged race? Being bound together. Now, if I were to bind my five-year-old son to my leg, well, there's a simple way to win that race. I strap him on and I just run for it. And I just pick him up, right? But that's really not how you walk together in fellowship. What Paul is pointing out that an unbeliever and a believer cannot bind themselves together and walk through life and really do life together in such a way. I've had many great friends over the years who believe and think and act and live very differently than I. I've often talked about my friend in Minnesota, a, a, a gay atheist male. But we loved climbing together and that was our connection. And he held my life in his hand and I his we had many spiritual talks, but we never made that step into similar spiritual beliefs. I still pray for him often that he would come into faith with Jesus. 
my Muslim friend, his name is Shady. He was so charitable and hospitable. A great and dear friend. But we never entered into true fellowship because of our beliefs. They're so different. But we were great friends. Fellowship really is a communion of souls. It's what provides unity in the body of Christ. Gabe Lyons goes on to say, they are committed to experiencing life together, this community. Not just by saying nice words, but by engaging in the hard realities of loving, grieving, serving, and suffering with one another. This is the church, the community of Christ's followers. And it is this that is the anecdote to what plagues our society. It's what satisfies when all that is offered to us, though tasteful, provides no healthy nourishment for our lives. Because even the community that is offered in our culture is based around similar self-serving interests. That's human nature. And we find camaraderie in it. And many things can imitate by providing connection. But they don't provide lasting, fulfilling, satisfying, or eternal substance or sustenance for our souls. And we need to show our children what it looks like to not only engage, but be committed to a life-giving community that's based on the gospel of service, sacrifice, and suffering. For that is the gospel. We need to show them what it looks like to be the church at home. Not just when we come to church, but that we are own little communities, mom, dad, and kids. Or maybe it's grandma and grandpa and grandkids. Whatever your position of influence you can have, you can be creating authentic biblical community throughout the week, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays. But you value those same gatherings on Sundays and Wednesdays by attending and supporting and participating. N.T. Wright, the great theologian, describes the vibrant church community like this. It's a place of welcome and laughter, of healing and hope, of friends and family and justice and new life. It's where you'll find people learning to pray, coming to faith, struggling with temptations, finding new purpose and getting in touch with a new power to carry that, out that purpose. It's where people bring their own small faith and discover in getting together with others to worship the one true God that the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And yet we tend to minimize the very thing Christ placed an irreplaceable value on in the lives of the believers. Church. The thing he died for, the thing he started, the thing he empowers, the very thing he gave as a gift to the very first disciples, we minimize. We make negotiable. Maybe I could point out to you some things that the church provides that I think are founded in Scripture. I've been reading through this book called Spiritual Parenting by Michelle Anthony. I encourage you in that book as well. And the next Christian's book as well. Confirm these thoughts about what the church provides. First is restoration. It provides restoration for our souls after wandering the week that we have. We have a place 
to come and receive restoration with like-minded people who encourage us, who challenge, who lift us up. When we're weary, our burdens are shouldered, not by ourselves, but by those around us. They encourage us in our separateness of following Christ, the values and the pursuit of our mission. It provides a reprieve from temptation, a refuge for our spirit, and renewed strength for the coming week. Provides relational intimacy that leads us towards Christ-likeness. It's a place of belonging and permanence in a society where everything is transitory, temporary. Many of you can, can count on both hands the number of times you've moved and relocated, and yet the body of Christ provides permanency. I love when I get to travel the world and experience that feeling of being part of the body of Christ. I don't know the language. I barely know English. That's a joke. All right. So when I travel, I have this unity with believers that I don't have with everyone else. We have a common bond in the person of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and we share in that life. And it's great to receive hospitality from brothers and sisters in the Lord. And even the local church provides permanency and belonging for each of us. A place to be known. It's a place of shared values. The values of service, sacrifice, and suffering. In a world where all those are a foreign concept, we come here and are encouraged that it's worth it. That it's worth it. And we share in the traditions that cause us to pause and honor Christ, not just prop up religious pursuits or simply make me feel good or long for the days gone by, but it's these shared experiences and traditions that inform my beliefs, remind me why we celebrate every Sunday morning. I love that we come together and we, we open with song. When we open in song our, our mornings together, it's not the entertainment before the preacher gets up, you know, the real good stuff, right? It's not just the music so that those of you who arrive late don't miss the preaching. It's the very thing we came to do is to unite in song. If you look at cultures throughout the world, what is it that defines their tradition and their culture? It is often their music. They gather and celebrate and it is music at its center. It's what defines culture. And for us as well, we gather as one heart, one mind, one soul, lifting up the name of Christ, singing our theology and doctrine, reminding ourselves of the promises of God. That's why we sing. We have these shared experiences. In in youth ministry, we always wanted to create great memories for students, not for memory's sake. As Rick said earlier, we don't just do events or activities for activity's sake. There's purpose behind it. Even when we took our kids to the amusement park, the bus ride there and the bus ride back was full of activity and relationship and doing life together. Often, there were spiritual conversations and prayers and moments of revelation and intimacy. Yes, going to the the theme park. 
And in that moment, we created memories that as kids looked back upon their time with us as a youth ministry, they saw monuments and milestones that they could see, that they could point and go, that was the moment I knew someone cared for me. I knew that there was a a God because when we prayed, I not only felt it, but I saw the answer. That's why youth ministry in this community is important. Secondly, this morning, we want to build that intentional community of Christ followers. What are you as a parent doing to create that in your family or as a college student in your life or as a single young adult? How are you creating community in your life? It has to be a non-negotiable, not something that's on the fringe that if you happen to get to it this week, you will participate, but you create it as a non-negotiable in your life. Experts describe the emerging societal environment as isolated tribes of individuals. And the norm now is to prefer casual, uncommitted relationships to devoted ones. And Gabe Blinds in his book says that most Americans subconsciously embrace cultural values that inadvertently destroy authentic community. We embrace the very things that are counter to the community of Christ. We find ourselves saying, well, you know, I don't want to interfere with their lives. I don't want to get into the mess of somebody else's business. So we stand back. We stand apart. We stand in isolation. And we come on a Sunday morning and sing with people we see every week. Hopefully you can remember their names, even though you've seen them for three years in a row and they sit in the same seat. You feel isolated and you feel alone. You are not meant to live that life. That's not the life that Christ meant for those who would claim identity in him. It is only counteracted with community. Because while we hustle and we hurry between work and friends and recreation and school and church and relocations, we stop sharing lives, we stop sharing meals, and we stop sharing in communion, we stop sharing in community. Why is it that the first thing to go in our families is Christian community? It's the first thing that's negotiable when there's a conflict. I'm not talking about the off week where you say, you, you know, we've, we've done this with our, our kids at times. You know what? You need to stay home and just rest tonight. You need to get that project done. I understand there are moments like that, but not as a pattern. Our kids know the value of Wednesday night student ministry and Sunday morning church and the various activities that are provided, and it's important for their spiritual growth. But for many of us, Christian community is the first thing to go And rugged individualism replaces deep committed friendships and community because we want to be seen as strong. I can make it on my own. I don't need anybody else. But you know what the next Christians crave? Selfless, life-giving community. That's what they crave. They don't want to be fakers. They don't want to be posers. They want to be real Christians. Christ followers. You know, read statistics lately that says the decline, the American Christianity is on the decline. What I think is that most people have come to understand what they thought was Christianity really wasn't, and they went, I'm not that. 
I don't want to be that. They, be, they came to sense that they weren't really following Christ at all, and they simply finally had the guts to say it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Christian. But what you're not seeing is that Christianity is on the rise among young people as they crave selfless, life-giving community that are affirming and supportive, that affirms my identity in Christ and in Christ alone. They're longing for that. And that's why we value ministries to children and youth. And parents, I, I implore you, and as a church community, I implore you to support our kids and student ministries. Through your words, have you stopped and written a note or sent an email to our youth pastor, Ben, or Pastor Ginger, or their team, or the volunteers who sacrifice and serve our kids? 180 of them on a given Sunday morning. 180 kids under four feet tall. We're influencing the next generation. How about with your time? Are you valuing that ministry with your time as a volunteer? Have you opened up your home, inviting the friends of your children into your home as a place where they might experience selfless, life-giving community? Even if they haven't come to know Jesus, may your home be that place that they come into community and they say, I want that. I want to be part of that. Darcy and I want our home to be like that. We want our house to be the crazy house where all the kids show up and all the food is gone within a half an hour. But we want that for our our kids, for their friends. We have small groups of people from our community, our church, in our homes. And we give our time. Parents, truthfully, most kids don't want you, most teenagers don't want you in youth ministry. Your youth pastor does. And behind the scenes is a great place to serve as you help with the weekly activities or the special events or you simply come and pray. And you attend, you bring your kids. That's a great way to support our students and our kids' ministries is with your attendance. I had a mom who was convinced that I was doing something to her son because when he came, he didn't feel connected. So I obviously wasn't doing my job and the youth ministry was obviously doing a terrible job. And I said, well, how often does your, your son come? I already knew the answer, right? She says, well, you know, I th- he was here last week. I said, well, when was he here before that? Oh, I think it was three months ago. And when was he here before that? And he knew the answer to all these questions. She said, well, I, I don't know. We don't make him come. <laughs> I said, well, that's, where, that's the problem. Make him come. Even if he hates it. Because you know what's good for him. And I said, listen, your son will never feel connected here. She was astonished that I would say this to her. I said, he will never feel connected as long as you don't make it a priority for him. And if you let him determine the priority, he will never come. He will never feel connected. And when he comes and he hears students engaging in spiritual conversation and talking about the last activity they got to participate in, don't you think he's going to feel like a foreigner because you failed to let him participate, encourage him to participate, or force him to participate? She said, I, I understand. I tell you what, not only did he, the older brother that we had the original issue with, start to come and attend regular, he got involved, became a student leader, his three siblings 
younger than him. We never had a problem. They were all involved because mom and dad forced them to come. I'm telling you what, forcing your kids to do stuff is not a bad thing. I know, we all remember that though. My parents forced me. I'm glad that my parents forced me to do things like take medicine, get shots, you know, all those things that they forced us to do. It was good for me. Ask yourself this. This is from the book Spiritual Parenting. How will I intentionally and strategically set up an environment where my children will be a vital part of a faith community? How are you going to make serving Jesus look awesome and thrilling? How? You better lead the way. You better lead the way. It starts with you. What does your commitment to Jesus Christ look like? Not to you, but to your kids. What does it look like? The world looks a whole lot different when you're this tall. What does it look like to see mom and dad reading the Bible on their own? Worshiping, unashamed, unabandoned to Jesus Christ, hands lifted high. Now you forget that part of the gospel is surrender too. Are you starting with your family? Darcy and I have the tough job, as many of you do, to arrange schedules. And then it gets tougher because then we have to rearrange schedules according to our values and our priorities. And so there are times where we're saying, you don't go to this because there's something more important in the community of Christ that you have to be a part of. Our own schedules, our own personal schedules, we have to arrange and rearrange. We make our home a place of community that we're inviting people in. We budget accordingly, not only in giving and sacrificing to this ministry, but giving to things like camps and retreats. We make those a priority, and we sacrifice other things before we sacrifice community. We make it a priority in our budget for our kids to experience Christian education. It's a choice we've made and are able to do. But we've sacrificed other things. And we seek out small groups for ourselves and for our kids. And let me tell you this, we we promote small groups all the time. We call them life groups. You need to get in one. We're going to launch, there's some meeting throughout the summer. We're going to launch again in the fall. Some of you need to lead a life group. I'm convinced that the people we need life groups are sitting, to lead life groups are sitting in this room and you've yet to step in the game. It's time to get off the bench. Start leading. I know you're thinking of all the ways you're unqualified. I can think of a million ways that you are qualified to lead people in life together. And you need other caring adults. That's where student and kids ministries are, are a great partnership. We're thankful for, for teachers that are also that other caring adult. As a youth pastor, I always wanted to be, for parents, that other caring adult. Or I wanted my staff to be the other caring adult. It's that person that validates the things you've said 1,000 times in your own house. They say it and your kid goes, oh, dad, listen to what, what Pastor Ben said tonight. It was awesome. I've been saying that for 13 years. But when Pastor Ben says it, it's, it's awesome. It validates it. 
And we need that. We need people in our kids' lives that our kids can have a refuge from mom and dad. And they can go to with their struggles and their hardships. And they know that they're unconditionally loved. You know, mom and dad have to love you. I'm thankful for my daughter's small group leader. I can't look at her because I'll start crying more. Find those people for your kids. If you don't have kids, become another caring adult. I want to close with this story. <clears throat> Mother's Day last week, sitting at the breakfast table with Robbie, playing Uno Attack. We just play games at the table when we eat. It's just our thing. I don't know what the conversation how it got going. I know he was excited as he is every Sunday morning to be at, at church and he can't wait. He, he just loves being with his friends and he loves worshiping. And so we were talking about the things he's been learning, the songs that he sings. And I was asking about one of the particular songs he was singing and asking him, he started singing about Jesus and I asked him inquisitively, what does that mean to you? And so we began to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on kind of on a five-year-old, six-year-old level. And Darcy and I asked him, have you ever asked Jesus to come and lead your life or come into your heart? And he looks at us. He goes, no. I said, you've seen other kids do it? Yeah. Would you like to? Okay. I said, do you want me to pray and you'll just repeat it? And he goes, sure. So there at the breakfast table, 8 o'clock in the morning, Darcy and I led Robbie in the salvation prayer, the sinner's prayer. I'm so thankful for a kid's ministry that's been validating the things we say at home. It's been teaching him beyond things I can teach or have tried to teach. And we got the privilege of leading him. I think every parent should do that. But we're thankful for a kid's ministry that's made it a priority to help us on the spiritual journey with our kids. It starts with you. It starts with you. And this community called the church is important. I hope it's important to you. Would you stand with me this morning as, I, as we close together? I want to bless you, but I also want to challenge you in this gospel. God created us to be with Him, and our sins, our own choices, lead us directly opposite of where God's at. And sin can't be removed by good deeds or good intentions. But Jesus paid that price with his own life. And better yet, when death thought it had a grip on him, he came back. He rose from the dead, proving that he was indeed God in the flesh. And for everyone who would call on that name, who would believe in him, they get to become his children with all its perks and privileges, including life in this world, new, brand new, more than you could ever imagine. And when this life ends, a new one begins. And you get that privilege when you step into faith with Jesus. And in this community, we pray a prayer nearly every week, inviting those of you who have yet to commit your life to Christ and ask him to lead it. We have the privilege of standing with you as you make that decision. And so, church, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, we're going to offer that opportunity to those in the room today who have yet to invite Jesus to lead their life and their decisions if that's you, I'm not going to point you out and embarrass you. I'm simply going to invite you to raise your hand and join with all of us as we pray with you a simple prayer that will be the launch of a new life and new journey for you.
that's you, would you raise your hand all across this room? We're going to pray with you just like my son did last week. It's never too late. Anyone at all? Thank you. Anybody else? In church, all around this room, let's pray this prayer together with those who raise their hand. Mean it in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. I receive forgiveness because of his death and new life because of his resurrection. I receive that today. Lead my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let me bless you as you go from this place today, as we strive to be spiritual parents, as we strive to be the community of Christ that we are meant to be. Father, bless your people today. In our going from this place, may we discover that you don't reside in this place, but you reside in our hearts. And when we come into community, into fellowship with other believers, we find that we see you even greater that it's in this community we can become more Christ-like. So, Father, would you bind our hearts together? Would you continue to grow this community? Help us to be inclusive, not exclusive. Father, would you bless your people in, in going today that they might be light and salt in this world? And I pray for each parent, each grandparent, as we endeavor to raise spiritual kids who know Jesus personally and intimately, would you help us know you personally and intimately first? Draw us again to yourself. Give us wisdom and grace and the fruit of the Spirit beyond our own abilities. It's in the name of Jesus I ask all this. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.